Thanks for clicking play on the latest episode of the Iowa Revolution podcast. I'm Spencer Dirks, your host, alongside Dr. Bob Leonard. Dr. Bob, how you doing, man? Fantastic. Except for my voice. It's coming and going. It's almost like a bedroom voice. Yeah. I might turn some people on this week, Dr. Bob. I don't think so. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. We also have a Facebook page you can follow as well. Of course, it is just titled Iowa Revolution. And our podcast comes out every Wednesday morning, so make sure you subscribe to our Substack so it gets delivered to your email right away. We'd certainly appreciate you forwarding this to people that you might might be interested in the podcast, looking to grow our audience a little bit. And yeah, share, share, share. Gotta share. Yeah, that's how it works. Don't keep us to yourself. <laughs> Share us with everybody that you know. Of course, a jam-packed show for today. There was a local LGBTQ pride group that was excluded from a parade in southwest Iowa. Uh, Todd Dorman had a great piece in the Cedar Rapids Gazette just talking about how now you have to get parental permission to call Joseph Joe or Stephanie Steph and just how ridiculous that situation has become for the Republicans. Iowa's child labor laws that just went into effect this year, was passed through the legislation, may violate federal law, which we discussed right away when that passed earlier this year. From Iowa's starting line, and you were at this event as well, Tim Scott was in Oskaloosa campaigning, and he said that he would put in a federal 15-week abortion ban, and like I said, you were there as well, so we'll discuss that. From Midas Touch, Pope Francis has called U.S. conservative Catholics backward. From the Pope, that's pretty amazing it really is and And he's not exactly the most liberal pope ever no he's not no i mean he's a jesuit he's pretty old school by catholic standards so for him to say something like that is certainly newsworthy we do have good news from the state of iowa specifically for the democrats as warren county voters made the right decision last week in fact that vote was the night that we recorded last week. So we got the results from that. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And also my top five best sports mascots. You told me to put that list together last week. First of all, there's tons of good mascots. So it was hard to narrow it down to the top five, but we'll see what we get. So we will start from KCCI, a local LGBTQ pride group, was excluded from a Southwest Iowa town's Labor Day parade, apparently by the city's mayor, who cited safety concerns. Shenandoah Pride planned to have a small group walking with a banner and a drag performer riding in convertible with candy, popsicles, and stickers to hand out in the parade in Essex, Iowa, said Jessa Beers, a founding member of the group. The parade is part of a four-day festival in Essex, which has about 720 residents. Ryan Fuller, who planned a ride in the convertible as his drag identity Cherry Peaks, said he received an email Thursday, this past Thursday, from the parade's organizer, notifying him of the decision. Fuller told the Associated Press, Essex Mayor Calvin Kinney spearheaded the decision with no motions or city council vote. Council member Heather Thornton, who disagreed with the move, said, quote, it was the mayor himself and added she was told he had the authority and didn't need a council vote. Kinney did not immediately respond to an email from the AP regarding the decision. The AP's phone calls to city attorney, Malin Sorensen, were unanswered. Barris said the decision left her feeling, quote, really shocked and angry, then just very sad and motivated to get the word out, she told the AP. This ban has done more for our visibility than the parade alone ever would have. Shenandoah Pride sought to be in the parade to, quote, let people know there is a queer community in the southwest Iowa town that they can be a part of, Barris said. Despite the parade decision, Shenandoah Pride does have a vendor booth at the festival. 
Fuller said community members offered their yard as space for group members to watch the parade, and some people plan to wear pride shirts in the parade to show solidarity. Mayors have no such authority. No. They can't. They can't do that. They're figureheads. They, they just, you know, run the meetings. They don't even vote. So, no, he can't do that, but he decided to take it on himself and become a gatekeeper to not allow those people the same rights everybody else has. And so it was a mistake. I hope there's a big lawsuit. Hope the mayor falls on his sword, realizes he makes mis made a mistake. He needs to just resign, despite all the threats of violence against Martin Luther King and all those people marching at that time. He never, ever cancel the march because when you cancel something like that or you stop it or if you're the gatekeeper you're putting your thumb on the scale you never want to cancel yourself you want to you want to continue even if there are threats of violence because you lose and you know it's just something the mayor can't do it seems to me that it's bigotry hiding behind quote-unquote safety concerns. Yeah, absolutely. It seems to me like it's a convenient excuse that oh if they would have marched in the parade something may have broken out or somebody may have thrown things at them. And to me, isn't it their idea whether or not they want to go through that or not? If they don't think that they're going to be safe, they can make the decision, this isn't good for us, we're going to pass this year. Right, and it's not them causing the violence. It's not them that they, that they were worried about. They were worried about people you know, not behaving in the, along the parade route. Which, which is exactly why they should be in the parade. If your excuse is people want to throw things at them or assault them or at least threaten assault at them, that's even more reason for these people to be visible in the community. Well, for those same kinds of reasons, we shouldn't allow Democrats to to be in our parades in our small towns because I've seen people call names, throw candy at Democrats, boo, you know, it never came to violence. But if you're worried about people... So you control the people. You let the people that want to be in the parade, be in the parade. If somebody's being a jerk in the, you know, along the sidelines and throwing things, they're the ones that should be arrested. Exactly. If you're worried about it, then call up the state troopers or call up the sheriff and say, hey, we'd like to have a couple extra officers for this parade. Here's the reason. Here's what to look out for. And hopefully at that point, everybody can stay safe. And like you said, you're penalizing the people that aren't causing the issues. Right. It's ridiculous. And you're siding on the side that is just full of bigots. Yep. So, yeah, that's what the mayor did. It'll be interesting. I hope we're able to follow up this story. I hope he's resigned. Yep, and they did. This was, of course, we're recording on Tuesday, and the parade was yesterday, and they did not partake in the parade officially. They did have a booth set up, and they were attending the parade, but they did not walk in the parade. They couldn't have stopped me from walking in the parade. Right. Yeah, I mean, what are they going to do? Yeah, what are they going to do? Arrest you? Right. And at that point, then they're just making your case even more. Yeah, they should have just gone ahead. I know it's their decision. It's not mine. But I think around here, the Marion County Democrats or the you know, the gay people or trans people, whatever I, that I know around here, they're not going to stop. They're, they deserve to be there. It's the United States of America. Yeah. It's a freedom of speech issue. Yeah. Which, if they do sue, they absolutely should, and I would imagine will win. This is from Todd Dorman in the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Republicans in their crusade to target transgender kids required schools to seek permission from parents to use a student's name or pronouns if they are different from those listed on a school district's registration forms. 
School districts wary of violating the tenets of Senate File 496, the sweeping education bill signed by Governor Kim Reynolds, are now requiring parents to fill out forms reflecting any nicknames different from what's in district records. If John goes by Jack or Jessica goes by Jess, fill out a form. The Iowa Department of Education has given school districts absolutely no guidance on how to adhere to the law, but Republicans who back the bill claim schools have it all wrong. Quote, this is dumb and misleading, but Democrats don't care because it advances their agenda. SF 496 only requires a parent to be notified if the name change is affirming a student's gender identity. That's from Representative Jeff Shipley, a Republican from Fairfield. He posted on X, formerly Twitter. Shipley got plenty of pushback from critics of the vague law. Well, so how do they know? How are teachers supposed to know if it's, it's an expression of their gender identity if they don't ask the kid, which they can't ask the kid. So how is the teacher supposed to know? It's ridiculous. And, and I just have to say, nothing against salesmen. Well, just a little <laughs> bit. But he's a sauerkraut salesman. A sauerkraut salesman has this kind of power in our legislature. A sauerkraut salesman. I mean, that's just too funny. I mean, if, if he were, a, you know, a car dealer or a tractor salesman or something, but this, he's a sauerkraut salesman. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even... I don't even know how to follow that. I do know that he also has comedian listed in his Twitter bio. Yeah. I don't know if he's actually ever performed stand-up comedy, but... What he's doing isn't funny. It's just ridiculous. I mean, there are a bunch of clowns up there, but this... Well, he said something to the effect of God doesn't make mistakes when he was following up with people that were going against him for standing up for this new law. He said, well, God doesn't make mistakes, and... We can't reverse these things and that sort of stuff. Basically, just anti-trans stuff. And I I just posted, I replied to Jeff Shipley, God makes plenty of mistakes. For example, you. (laughs) Well, that's pretty good. But the thing is, if he says they don't make, God doesn't make mistakes, then trans people should be fine. I mean, because they are what they are. So he should be accepting of them if God doesn't make mistakes. Well, and also, I mean, gender-affirming care or having a surgery, people have surgeries, take medicine. I mean, people get cancer, get strep throat, maybe have to have an arm amputated because they have diabetes or something. So that whole argument, he's just a moron. And it just sucks because he is one of our representatives in the state house. He's one of the most powerful ones. Yeah. Which says a lot for their side, that they put him in that powerful position. He certainly doesn't back down from a fight, but he's just a moron. None of the points that he makes are salient. In his world, they are. I mean, there's this whole alternative universe they live in. Uh, The U.S. Department of Labor sent a letter to Iowa Democrats confirming the new child labor law Governor Reynolds signed in May violates federal law. That's from KCRG. Iowa Democrats sent a letter back in March to federal officials voicing their concerns on the law, which eased restrictions on how many hours minors could work and what types of jobs those could be. In response, officials with the U.S. Department of Labor identified two ways in which the law appears to be inconsistent with federal child labor law. Number one, the Iowa law allows 16- and 17-year-olds to operate dangerous power-driven machines, engage in heavy manufacturing, and work in demolition, all of which are prohibited under federal child labor laws. 
And number two, the new Iowa law also does not require 16 and 17 year olds working in apprenticeship or student learner roles to be registered by the U.S. Department of Labor or a state agency, which federal law does require. The letter says that states can pass more protective child labor laws, but cannot nullify federal requirements by enacting less protective laws. So why would you enact a law that you knew was illegal? Either you're not paying attention, you're not doing your homework, you're not, you know, concentrating, you're just incompetent, or you're trying to make a point, you're trying to... Um, sort of destabilize, I mean, they're always trying to destabilize society, so this just might be one of the destabilization efforts that they're doing to discredit the federal government in the eyes of their sheep. Most of the people that are passing these laws on the Republican side, I doubt, could even tell you what's in these bills. Most of these bills are written by out-of-state interests. This was probably written by the restaurant industry that was the main backer, the, the main lobbyist for this bill. So there's probably a lot of Republicans that didn't read it, didn't know that there might be a conflict with federal law. Well, I can't tell you how many times our legislators have told me they haven't read the bill. So and it's not surprising. How many times? I don't know. A dozen anyway. Oh, I don't know. I didn't read it. Things that have had specific kinds of things. And here our legislators are mainly uh, Republicans. And so some things that are specific to things happening in our county that I wanted comment on just trying to get comment. They hadn't even read it even after they'd signed it. On one of the examples uh, from a legislator that's since deceased, there was going to be an expansion of the Knoxville Raceway. A couple million dollars were given to the Knoxville Raceway and he didn't know about it and he signed it. And he was the representative of Knoxville. Who was that? I don't want to speak ill, <laughs> Ill of the dead. So I don't want to, I mean, occasionally I will speak ill of the dead, but <laughs> I'd just rather not this one that he has still has family around. Speaking of dead people, were you a Jimmy Buffett fan? I was. You look like a Jimmy. First of all, you're wearing like a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt right now. So I think you're in the full like retirement Jimmy Buffett mode anyway. But I wasn't really a big Jimmy Buffett fan. I'm not really. Well, you had to sort of, you know, you're too young to be a real Jimmy Buffett fan. But he was just sort of, you know, just... You know, relax, enjoy yourself, permission structure to drink too much and go to the beach and goof off. So we don't have a lot of that. It was interesting. I just saw an article about how Jimmy Buffett, you just mentioned, I mean, he's known to be a slough it off kind of guy. You know, leave work early and go to the beach and get your drink on. But apparently he was like a hard driving CEO, like, you know, his Margaritaville chain of restaurant and bars. Apparently he grew that like very sternly. Like he was not necessarily as laid back as you would imagine him to be, especially in the business world. Well, he came from a, a not very wealthy background. He probably had a chance to make some money and did it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he did see a pile of money coming in. I mean, he had Margaritaville. What was the other big? He had another hit. Well, Cheeseburgers in Paradise. But then there was another one that was that I think we play on the radio. But I'm just saying he turned in a you know, handful of songs into a hundred million dollar franchise. Right. 
And I'm forgetting the, the song that was so popular. I posted it on Facebook the other day that where, that he made it with his girlfriend and they had their old pickup in a boat and they did this video without any money. And he was still married to her when he died. You know? Oh, so, really? Yeah. So that was cool. I always got him confused with Rupert Holmes in the Pina Colada song, which I like better than the Margaritaville uh, song. That's a terrible song. Why? It's hokey. It's dumb. <laughs> it's terrible. You think Jimmy Buffett isn't hokey and dumb? No. He's a visionary. Pina Colada is one of those songs that is sad. It sounds like a happy song, but it's yeah, really a sad song. I mean, it's about two people know. cheating on each other. Yeah. And no. then <laughs> meeting up to cheat on each other. Yeah, no, it's, I don't know what they call those, you know, like a one-hit wonders where they're, oh, I don't know, there's something, they're gimmick songs, or some other better name for Sure, them. yeah. Yeah, that's what that was. Like Mambo Number 5, or Mamba Number 5? Yeah, I don't know. A Little Bit of Rana. That no, wasn't no, even no. one of the names. No, no. You've never heard Mambo Number 5? Not By Lou Bega? Not that I know of. Apparently Stephen King is a huge Lou Bega fan. Like Mambo Number Five fan. I'm sure I've heard it. I just don't remember it. I digress. Let's get into some cock talk. How about we talk some caucus news on the Iowa Revolution podcast? First of all, I'll just open it up to you. Tim Scott spoke in Oskaloosa here in the past couple of days. Uh, you were there attending, covering it. How did it go? I do know that he had a pretty good crowd show up. They had to move in some extra chairs that they weren't expecting to use. I think there was 75 or 80 people. It's not bad. A lot of people I knew. Um, it's the same canned speech he gives all the, all of the time. It's the same kind of thing. He answers differently with respect to some questions. Somebody asked him to share his faith journey, and so he got into you know that story. and So that was different. Not that I was interested in hearing it. It's just, if I want to go to church, I'll go to church. But right. it's... Uh, yeah, we're not people, electing pastors. People either. really, people enjoyed that part of it. But um, I just think that, and I saw this in the paper the other day in the Des Moines Register, that some Republicans are asking him to go a little bit deeper into the issues. I'm not sure he can. I've, you know, I've been to three or four of his events, and he never, ever goes, it's just Biden bad, Biden bad. Even in the, the debate wall. a couple of weeks yeah, ago, it was the nothing. same thing. There was nothing of substance, really. For a sitting senator, well, I guess he's a Republican, and there's lots of sitting senators that are Republicans that don't know anything, but I don't know how, how deep he can go. I haven't seen any glimpse of any depth of knowledge, and that's... You know, that's what sometimes you see with beginning politicians. You know, when I sit down and interview them, you can see they don't know anything yet. And then they grow and they know more. And they come back and they're better. Maybe, I don't want to say any names, but there's some people. Well, I will say a name, Rick Perry. The first time he ran for president, he was a terrible candidate. Didn't know anything. The second time when he came back, he was a lot better candidate. I mean, so some of it's maturity on the trail, getting used to it. Some of it's actually... The book work and the training, but Scott, I haven't seen it yet. We'll see if he comes forward. And that's the contrast to him and Nikki Haley, who I think is the other, you know, real, well, not other, I think she's the best on foreign policy. I think she knows them the most. I think uh, that she has detailed knowledge of all kinds of other things that Rick's, or the Rick, Tim Scott doesn't have. Rick Scott, too. <laughs> I was going to say, we can lump those two together pretty well, I think. It does seem, too, another way to compare and contrast, because it does seem like 
the race between Nikki Haley and Tim Scott is pretty important because South Carolina is the third voting state. It's the third primary state. If they can do well in Iowa and or New Hampshire, whoever comes out of South Carolina, you would imagine whoever doesn't stay ahead of the other would probably drop out at that point. And it looks to me at this point that Nikki Haley has a better chance. One, she's actually willing to go up against Trump. And you and I both know that there's a lot of Republicans out there that are done with Trump and they're waiting to hear a viable Republican say the same thing. And Nikki Haley's not afraid to say that, whereas Tim Scott is still going to stay right in Trump's hip pocket all the way through. Obviously, if he hasn't given up on him yet, he's never going to. Well, they'll find, you know, if they want to, there's so many thing that, things that Trump does that are illegal or immoral or wrong. There's any kind, I don't know, anything he does could potentially be a, a rationale for them to flip. And they just all need to flip at once. Yeah. That's what they need to do. I wrote about Nikki Haley for Time Magazine a couple months ago, thinking she had a path to the White House. And she does, and so does Rick Scott. Like you said, somebody just has to come out well in Iowa, New Hampshire, and then let South Carolina decide which of them that they want. I mean, it's just so such a clear path for that. Tim Scott did a couple of interviews. But, I mean, there was a big press presence there, and he didn't do a gaggle. He didn't come out. He wants a, a controlled situation. They're making mistakes if they don't talk to people. Ramaswamy talked to people, you know. DeSantis you know, rarely does a gaggle. This They're doing a pretty poor job gaggle-wise, this Republican group. So, yeah, you were there. Obviously, you said Tim Scott did take questions from the crowd. Did he take any questions from the assembled press? No. Well, he did something with KCCI I saw beforehand, and there might have been somebody else. Tell me about the crowds. You've been to several events whether it's a Trump event or you've been to several DeSantis events or Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, uh, you've been to Vivek Ramaswamy as well. Tell me about the crowds. Is there any difference between the crowds? I mean, is one crowd younger, older, more diverse, less diverse? Well, none of them are diverse. I mean, they're just not. Um, Trump's crowds are always the best. I haven't been to He hasn't been here for you know, to Central, well, the last one was this summer and he canceled because of the threat of rain. Right. He didn't think the, <laughs> the, uh, enough people would show up. Um, and actually, I talked to a law enforcement officer who's a friend who is um, there at the Trump event and the, uh, um, it was canceled because the crowd was too small. It wasn't because of the threat of tornadoes. The crowd was too small. So, but anyway, Trump's crowds are always the best. They're always, it's just like a giant party slash, you know, tent revival, you know, kind of thing where they worship their idol, Trump. Um, DeSantis, when he was here at first, drew a crowd of a thousand or so at the fairgrounds, and they really liked him. Um, Pence doesn't have much of a crowd, and half of them they're hating. He just needs to go home. He's very—he's irritating me very much. Pence just needs to go <laughs> home. Um, Ramaswamy had a really good crowd in in Pella, and they loved him. I think I told you that there were a couple of middle-aged women in the audience that were nearly orgasmic for him. It was like watching a Beatles concert or something. <laughs> so um, 
is really doesn't take uh, much for Republicans to get excited, obviously. But yeah, I almost <laughs> said something I'd regret. But anyway, <laughs> cut that, cut that, cut that. Anyway, so who else have I seen? I've seen everybody. Here's another question then about the crowds. Do you see a lot of Trump memorabilia at other events, at non-Trump events? No. Hats, shirts, no. etc. Very little. Yeah. So then, very it, little. so I mean, I'm just trying to think. It does seem like right now, if you're, I mean, obviously, if you're not voting for Trump, like Trump's still polling it around, you know, 45 to 50 percent, depending on the primary poll. It does seem like that's his cap. Like if you've jumped off that ship already, yes, you might vote for him again in the general election, but in the primary, Trump has no room to grow. No. So somebody has to consolidate that remaining. 50% 50% or whatever it is. Yeah, everybody else needs to get out. Pence needs to get out. I think that I think the people that need to stay in are Ramaswamy, DeSantis, Haley, and Scott. I think everybody else just needs to go. Right. And like we said, eventually one of Haley or Scott is going to drop out just because they're not going to win enough delegates to continue on. And it's pretty expensive to run a presidential campaign, especially when you're looking ahead to Super Tuesday and you're going to have to run ads in 10 different states, etc. You would imagine that a lot of these people would start dropping out fairly soon after New Hampshire, South Carolina. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I can't, if I knew it was going to happen, I would be placing some bets. Okay. But I will say Ramaswamy has a very bright future. He doesn't know very much, mm-hmm. but he's very charismatic. People like him. He's boyish. You know, he can make mistakes and recover. He's, I don't know, he's got a lot of potential. I have friends, Republican friends, that uh, really like him and are throwing their support behind him. So I read a story about him. I wanted to do a little bit more research because I didn't know anything about him other than seeing him on the debate stage, you seeing him in Pella. And he made a lot of his money by being a grifter. So he bought this pill that had not passed any FDA trials. In fact, failed miserably. So his mom as a doctor had her rewrite one of the trials so that it got passed through the first trial and then it failed miserably. So when it when he got his mom to rewrite and say that this is a very promising new drug, of course the stock goes crazy high. And then before it failed, which they knew it was going to fail, he sold it all off and made a ton of money, basically like penny stock type stuff. So that's how he made most of his money, by peddling a drug that he knew was never going to pass. Yeah, I didn't know that. I guess Republicans like con men. Yeah, I mean, he is flatly a con man. It's surprising that he's not, I mean, those sorts of things to me should land you in jail. No, it's a a (laughs) white-collar crime. I know, so silly, I know. Smoke a little weed. (laughs) It's more of a crime. So I did want to mention, too, I just saw this this morning, but you, of course, used to live in New Mexico. You used to teach at the University of New Mexico, and uh, somebody that came through Knoxville would have been in 2008. Bill Richardson passed away. just saw the news this morning. Had you seen that? I saw that. He was governor while I was in New Mexico. Um, His claim to fame in... uh, our family, as he got, we were at a reception once, and he was very drunk and hit on my wife. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, he does have good taste, I'll say that. 
but what the hell? It was pretty funny. It got, <laughs> it got to the point where he bent over and his forehead touched hers, and she's sort of like backing off. He was he was really drunk. And I just got goosebumps, man. That's weird. And I'm watching that and I'm thinking, I wonder what she's going to do. And uh, But anyway, he was a nice guy. He was a great diplomat. He was... I was going to say, his claim to fame just in general is being a good diplomat. And didn't he save some, like a hostage situation or yeah. a prisoner swap, something yeah, like he that? He was all. known to be a very good diplomat. He had a role in bringing uh, Brittany Griner back. So, I mean... We don't know all that he did, and he would work sometimes sort of adjacent to the U.S. government. Yeah. Not, and But sometimes he would be called, I think Bill Clinton called on him. He was just a real gregarious guy. Yeah, I actually interviewed him. He was one of the leftovers that you gave to me back when I was covering news. You apparently didn't want to go to that one. So you hogged all the good ones. You talked to Obama, and you talked to McCain and all these other people, whereas I got Fred Thompson. And I got Fred Thompson, too. Oh, well, still, I still got the leftovers. I probably got two questions from him. And then Bill Richardson, who actually spent a decent amount of time. I think I actually got, like, a full interview out of Bill Richardson. Well, he... Uh, and you could see why he would be a good diplomat. I mean, he's just, like you said, gregarious, smiley. Uh, he's kind of a good-looking, you know, large man. So some of that was intimidation, too. Like, you didn't probably want to cross him too much. He was a big dude. Yeah, and I rode around with him at the fairgrounds. I was in his car with the, uh, went to the state fair with him. He asked me to come along since the New Mexico connection. So I did. I rode around with him with the Iowa State Patrol and sort of interpreted the uh, Iowa State Fair for this guy from New Mexico I knew, even if he hit on my wife. <laughs> no kidding. Did you ever, like, talk to him about that? Did you ever say, hey, remember when you were sloshed at that event? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, it, no, I didn't. I probably sh- I probably should have, but I didn't. I was more discreet than that. It was too late now. R.I.P. Bill Richardson. Yeah, good guy. Did want to bring up, as I brought up in the intro, so one of the big news-making items that Tim Scott has been using in his stump speech, which a number of other Republicans have started to do as well, is he mentioned that he would want to implement a 15-week abortion ban nationwide. And I would imagine that was received pretty well in the Oskaloosa crowd that you were at. Lots of uh, applause. I think he thinks that's more of a compromise issue than the six-week ban that DeSantis has signed and other people. So the 15-week he sees is something that maybe is more palatable to more Americans. I don't know. It's interesting to me because if I were a Republican right now, I would probably stay away from talking too much abortion. Well, he was asked directly. He didn't have oh, a choice. Gotcha. Okay. That was by a former obstetrician. Oh, yes. Okay. Gotcha. Any other cock talk? Any other newsworthy items from the past week? I didn't see too many, you know, campaign stops in the state. Obviously, Labor Day, so I'm sure a lot of candidates are, you know, at home celebrating the holidays with their with their family. But, yeah, I didn't see really a whole lot of, uh, at least, Iowa caucus news this week. No, there wasn't. There's not going to be a lot this week either. There's few people wandering around. Vivek is in Des Moines and going up to Okaboji and I don't know who else is in. I mean, of the major players, I don't think anybody else is here this week, but I could be wrong. Trump hasn't been arrested this week, so we don't have anything, no indictments to talk about this week. So we'll just move on to a wider scope. This is from Midas Touch. 
Pope Francis called U.S. conservative Catholics backward in a meeting with members of the Jesuit order in Lisbon, Portugal, on August 5th. During the meeting, Francis was speaking with a Jesuit priest who was describing his experiences on sabbatical in the U.S., during which he experienced U.S. Catholics attacking the Pope for his more, quote, progressive views. Francis acknowledged the priest's report by citing a, quote, very strong organized reactionary attitude in the U.S. church, which he called, quote, backward. He claimed that in this type of faith environment, people abandon traditions for ideologies and that, quote, ideologies replace faith. Pope Francis also added, quote, I want to remind these people that backwardness is useless and they must understand that there's a correct evolution in the understanding of questions of faith and morals. Recent polling suggests that Trump supporters in the U.S. trust Trump more than they trust religious leaders, family, and friends. So it's a cult. Yeah, absolute cult. Despite his 30,000, 33,000 lies or whatever it is now. No, it, it is a cult. Nothing... And it's nothing he can do. It just doesn't matter to them. Just... And again, it's just odd to hear progressive views. Progressive views on what? Yeah. I mean, he's allowed some more females to have leadership positions in the church. I mean, but a lot of that stuff, it's like, this should have been done 80 freaking years ago. You know? I mean, it's not progressive at this point to allow women to be priests. Yeah. No. It's just... You know, it's, he's right. It is ridiculous, and it's. Um, I thought the Pope was infallible. Why were they questioning the, right. the Pope? You know. Yeah, he is, according to Catholics. Yeah, apparently not for the American Catholic well, it leadership. Me, well, it reminds me of we were talking about that uh, Southern Baptist former pastor that was a leader in the Baptist Church, and saying that he had congregants or had heard stories from other pastors as well. People coming up after they were literally quoting scripture from the Bible about things Jesus says, turn the other cheek. And, you know, it's just a continuing trend that they're rejecting their religion and choosing, like the Pope said, this ideology, this Trumpian ideology. Right. The Pope is no longer infallible. Trump is. There you go. That's it in a nutshell. So on to some good news then. This is from Iowa starting line in our backyard. Voters in Iowa's Warren County voted Tuesday, past Tuesday, to remove their recently appointed county auditor who had shared false conspiracy theories about the 9-11 terrorist attacks, QAnon, and the 2020 presidential election, replacing him with the deputy auditor he had placed on leave after she declared her candidacy against him. Iowa's county auditors oversee elections. Republican David Whipple's past social media post drew local outrage after he was appointed to the post by an all-GOP county supervisors board following the past auditor's resignation. Enough Warren County residents signed a petition to force a special election, and Kimberly Sheets, a Democrat and the current deputy auditor, ran against him and won, and won easily. She captured 66.5% of the vote to Whipple's 33.4% of the vote in last Tuesday's special election. The Democrat won despite Warren County's rightward shift in recent years. Donald Trump carried the county, which lies directly to the south of Des Moines, by a 17-point margin in 2020. The race drew international head lines because of Whipple's past conspiratorial-laden social media posts. In the days before the election, Whipple discouraged students at Simpson College from voting in the race. Did you see that? Yeah. He said, quote, while it may be legal, it isn't always right, end quote, he said on a Facebook post. 
Quote, I'm the most experienced candidate, Sheets told starting line before the election. For seven years, I've been involved with the auditor's office, and I'm very familiar with all the different hats and tasks that are required in that position. I enjoyed that position in regards to working with the community and the residents, all the residents, end quote. Yeah, she's a classic public servant. I mean, she's just, you know, doing her job. He didn't know anything, and he's an arrogant guy. He compared himself to Jesus after he lost. I saw that. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're nuts. They really are. Yeah, it's a cult. It's disturbing, but again, good news. Way to go, Warren County voters. And the point is that don't act like he's an aberration. He's your norm. He's your normal in quote contemporary Republican. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's not like he's an outlier. That he's no. some crazy, crazy right wing Republican. He is mainstream at this point. Yep. Sad. Denying elections. Yeah, these QAnon conspiracies, basically any conspiracy, they're going to eat right up. And it's not good for government. Kimberly Sheets, right after she won, just mentioned that people want good government, and I'm here to give it to them. Yeah. More power to her. I think she was sworn in today. Oh, well, we congratulations, Miss Sheets. Yeah. I thought about going and watching those the three Republican supervisors, see if they could you know, hold their heads up even... They should be holding their heads in shame, but they won't. They're, it's a weird group. Well, most supervisors in many places are an odd assemblage of people, a lot of people that just, you know, want to be there because they want more gravel on their road and stuff right. like that. I right. mean, yeah, Board of Supervisors are different folks in general, but they're wackier, petty dickering all the time. One of them called uh, the sheriff a, a yellow-bellied Coward. (laughs) What is this, like the 1920s? Yeah. Yeah, yellow-bellied coward. Uh, Anything else? Anything else newsworthy? I feel like we're flying by, but we're pretty much right on time. Newsworthy? Um, No. I mean, well, of course, everything's newsworthy. There's, I mean, all kinds of things are happening. We don't need to get into any detail about the Trump indictments. Um, or the polling. I don't know. I think we've covered most everything. I'm sick of talking about Twitter. I know. And Elon Musk. And I was going to say, I was going to put that up. Did you see the Anti-Defamation League? He's after, yeah. basically, he's saying that they have contacted advertisers and that's why they're losing advertisers because the Anti-Defamation League is probably showing them actual tweets of Nazis on Twitter and... Elon Musk is blaming that on the Jews, basically. Well, I mean, there's some other things that are happening. This big shift that they're so that if you bring up that the Republicans are doing with respect to diversity, equity, and inclusion, they're saying those efforts are racist. There was a black judge, I think it was in New York, one of like two black judges in an area where there's like six or seven people, and she just said we need to look at you know, what are the different factors, you know, that are, you know, that makes it so that we have so few minority judges. And she's been sued, saying that she was being, she was saying that the other judges were being discriminatory. So she can't point out the discrimination. To point out the discrimination, she's charged with discrimination. Of course. And so that's what they're going to. It's to maintain their white power, majority, just their power. I mean, and it's uh, and that's what bothers me so much about Ramaswamy and Scott and Nikki Haley is 
they just act like everything is fine. They just are doing everything they can do to make the white people feel better about themselves. That's what the Republican Party is for now, to let the white people feel better about themselves, about clinging to power. Remember when Romney lost and the Republicans had a conference and they were going to be doing this big reset, trying to have more outreach to minority communities, Hispanics, etc. And it's like, oh, hey, maybe they're going to join the rest of the world. And then Trump comes through and just blows that all up. And now they don't care about that stuff at all anymore. Nope. They're not trying to outreach to new. All they're trying to do is get as many white people as they can to the polls. And you do that by scaring them, making yeah. them fear the minority, right. the trans kids, yeah. etc. Cy uh, Hawk week as well, should mention. Iowa, Iowa State this weekend. Both teams won their opening round or opening week games. Iowa State beat your UNI Panthers. Iowa beat Utah State. Iowa is a four-point favorite in Ames this Saturday against Iowa State. Well, that could be interesting. Um, I think it's going to be a real ugly game. Two pretty good defenses. Iowa has a really good defense. I think Iowa State's a fairly good defense, but both are pretty horrendous on offense. Who uh, is more caught up in the gambling scandal? Who's lost more players? Iowa State. Certainly lost more important players. I think it was fairly even in total number of players, but Iowa State lost their starting quarterback and one of their main running backs, as well as a, a very good defensive player. Iowa right now really just lost in terms of guys that would contribute one defensive lineman. So tell me these investigations are going on in other states. As far as we know, they're not. Which so Kirk Ferentz, yeah, Kirk Ferentz himself was pretty pissed about that in one of his preseason press conferences. I mean, Kirk Ferentz, you know, is a pretty even-keeled person. So to say, pissed off, you know, he didn't appear like he was going to, you know, throw a mic around or anything like that. But it is interesting that Iowa and Iowa State players are being suspended, kicked off the team, may not have any more college eligibility, whereas students in all the other 49 states. And however many of those states, probably half of those have legalized gambling, and they still have their players. So everybody else gets to gamble that's of that age, but the football players. I could see, I think we just need to let them gamble if they want to, just not on their own teams. Right. Which I think that's pretty reasonable. I think most people agree with that. By the way, I said this when this whole investigation first started. I wouldn't be surprised, and this is actually the case in several other states, that you can't bet on in-state teams. I could see that happening, where if you are gambling in Iowa, you can't place a bet on Iowa, Iowa State, you and I, what have you. Yeah. I thought originally, isn't that originally what happened when some of the first states were doing sports bets, sports betting, didn't that wasn't that part of the original deal? Or Could have been. I know for sure. I know for sure in Nevada, so like Las Vegas and Reno, I know for sure they can't place bets on the Las Vegas Raiders or UNLV or, you know, they can't bet on any team that resides in the state of Nevada. I think Illinois is the same case. I don't think you can bet on the Bears or the Cubs or the Fighting Illini if you're betting in Illinois. So I could see that being something that comes next just to avoid that situation altogether and then of course you get into the conversation of people being invested or paying the kids for point shaving and that sort of stuff if you can bet on in-state schools it just it invites a lot of 
shady things to happen. Um, especially when you consider that Iowa doesn't have a pro sports team. Iowa and Iowa State are our pro sports teams. And Dr. Bob's eyes are starting to glaze over, so we're just going to go ahead and move <laughs> I'm on. Listening, I'm listening. <laughs> just because I don't care doesn't mean I'm not listening. Fair, fair enough. Thank you for that. So let's get to my top five best sports mascot, shall we? Do you have any, first of all, that, uh, that you want to mention? Well, it's interesting. Some of the ones that we like are not the traditional kinds of mascots. Um, I will say I like the Carolina Mudcats. Mm-hmm. I like that, the little C with the catfish it's a heads. a great, iconic out. logo, yes. I like the Toledo Mud Hens, uh, Banana Slugs, what, Santa Cruz. I like those. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start off with number five, and it's a high school in Iowa. Have you ever heard of the Sheldon Orabs? No. You know what Orab is? No. It's orange and black. So it's a consolidation. Their colors are orange and black. So the Sheldon Orabs. Okay. It's not a good totem. You don't think go, so? Go, well, I'll tell you why. Go through the rest of them. I'll tell you why they're not. Okay. Well, the next one is one that you mentioned last time and, and also this time. The UC Santa Cruz Banana Slugs. That could be. Okay. Well, I'll have to explain. <laughs> okay. Number three is the Hoopston Area High School Corn Jerkers. Now, that's pretty funny, but it's not a good... Well, maybe it is. Depends on how they define corn jerkers. And that's a high school in Illinois, by the way. Corn jerkers are just, you know, basically shucking corn. Just okay. the guys out in the field shucking corn. It's, it's okay, totem. Number two, the Wichita State University Shockers. Do you know what a shocker is? No. Um, I don't know if I should explain it to you. So so a shocker for them is something to do. It's agricultural. So obviously Wichita is in Kansas and Kansas is known for wheat. So it's something to do with like shocking the wheat. So they were the shockers. But a shocker is um, a sexual reference um, I'll just show you the sign right now. That's a shocker. So two in the p- one in the p- Great. <laughs> you shouldn't have told me that. Oh, man. You need to cut that out. Cut that, cut that, cut that. Well, yeah. we're leaving it in. Because A, I think a lot of people know that. And B, that's what a lot of Wichita State University students, like that's also like a part of their... You know how like I don't need like Texas Longhorns like have you know they'll throw up the the, the yeah. Longhorns yeah they sh- throw up the shocker yeah this is me not caring hey you told me that Bill Richardson hit on your wife I can tell you about the shocker yeah, <laughs> yeah go no, ahead you just did number one is the Waters Meet Nimrods I don't know what a Nimrod is so I didn't either I had to look this up so first of all I mean a Nimrod is just a, a moron I mean just in normal speech if you call somebody a nimrod it's yeah that guy's an idiot but this comes from so it's in michigan it's in the upper peninsula of michigan so way up there by wisconsin and it's in like a very wooded area so there's a lot of hunters in the area and nimrod is a biblical figure he was actually noah's great grandson known to be a great hunter basically so why did it Turn to not 
I don't know. I don't know what the etymology is, why it turned from Nimrod being a great hunter and great warrior. He was a king of some area. I don't know why now it's a put down. But they're proud to be Nimrods, man. So you tell me whether these are good totems or not. I think that they're not, most of them, in the sense that a totem anthropologically is like a a plant or an animal that your tribe or your group of people identify with that that protect that may protect you that you have an affinity for and totem so, so just like a totem pole would have maybe a, a frog carved yeah. into it or a yeah. hawk or bobcat whatever those are the like maybe the totem pole might have all the different clans and the different totems that are in that particular tribe because there can be and should be multiple uh, totems to represent different clans or you know different moieties or whatever but so like the Knoxville Panthers mm-hmm. you know there's strong that's their spirit animal maybe it could be you know the characteristics of an oak tree or something this is also on early coinage these kinds of things that that the strength of the oak or whatever those are you know there's some kind of a spiritual guide for you and it actual, symbolizes what you might strive right. for as a community. It's not the it, yeah, and it's you have an affinity for that plant or animal, and I guess it could be more. Mainly, it's, it's plants and animals, but and the word totem comes from an Ojibwe word for relative of mine. Okay. So if your totem is a panther, you have a kinship gotcha. with the panther. I didn't know that. Yeah, so some of them are iffy because there's no, I mean, what powers do, I mean, it's just a clever name. What powers does the Nimrod have? Nothing. Right. So it doesn't bring you anything spiritually or strength-wise or protection-wise. So you have to decide what you want to, you know, banana slug. I don't know banana slugs well enough to see <laughs> if they're virtuous or not and see if there's anything in their behavior to be admired. You know, I don't know that. Um, the Carolina mudcats, maybe the Toledo uh, mud hens, maybe I don't, I don't know. But and so, if you believe in this stuff, if you've got the goofy, stupid name that doesn't have any power behind it or any protection, any spirituality behind it, then no wonder you're a bunch of losers. <laughs> that's that's a good point. Yeah, you don't. I mean, I would imagine that the Nimrods are not necessarily a, a football powerhouse. <laughs> is, that what, is that what you're saying? Yeah, what you're I'm associating saying. yourself so, with Nimrods? Yeah, so, so think about all the, you know, the, the real names. I mean, the, you know, the Ohio State, the, you know, the Buckeyes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the characteristics of a Buckeye are. Just well, maybe. I do know the Buckeyes are supposed to bring you luck. Yeah. You're supposed to put a Buckeye yeah. in your pocket and it's supposed to bring you luck. So there you go. That's a good one. Um, Hawkeye, if it's you know related to the character, and the, uh, there's a dispute about this. And the last of the Mohicans, maybe you know, come up with his power, the power of a cyclone. I was going to say a cyclone is a yeah. obvious. Yeah, good that's one. a great totem. Right. So now you need to think about: is it a really good totem? Is that spirit, animal, or plant actually helping the team? And if and if it, there isn't any potential for that to happen, then it's a pretty bad mascot or totem see i grew up a marion indian marion has since changed their nickname which i'm very glad that they have they are no longer the indians they are now the wolves which is a great totem to have especially in team sports you're the wolf pack 
work together, accomplish your goals. Scary. Smart. Yeah, smart, scary, ferocious. Yeah. All good great. things for a, a sports team to, to so care. So who's going to win? The Marion Wolves or the Banana Slugs? I would bet on the Wolves, yeah. just knowing the just names. Just the names, yeah. Right. So if you have a silly name, other than selling merchandise, I mean, at one time when I was actually following a lot of baseball, and I actually I was in Albuquerque, and, and when they switched from the Albuquerque Dukes to the Isotopes, I love the Isotopes. Yes. All of them is Homer Simpson's baseball <laughs> right. team. But, right. I mean, there is a, I mean, you know, the nuclear history of New Mexico and the Isotope makes sense. And right. Isotopes are very powerful. So, so I guess we'll look at it that way. I think it's a different way of looking at it. And at this point, too, it's hard to differentiate yourself just because there is so many wolves and eagles and hawks and tigers, etc. So it's hard. If you do want to differentiate yourself or have something for your team to rally around, it's not so fun to just pick the lions. You know, we're going to call ourselves the lions. Like at this point, it's kind of boring. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But I mean, you could find out, you could figure out something else. I mean, hippos are pretty ferocious, but you don't have. have There's not too many hippos or rhinos for that matter. Rhinos, yeah, that'd be a great. Not too many sharks either, which I find kind of interesting. There's not a lot of marine mammals at all. No, I mean, why not? I mean, the Miami dolphins, obviously, but wouldn't they? Like even that, it's like why wouldn't they name themselves the sharks? Like a dolphin is not a great totem necessarily. Although they are smart. Yeah, you're right. Uh, What's next? I'm going to have you keep picking these. I think we should do the top five best Iowa governors. Top five Iowa governors. So I'm going to have to do some research on this one because I've only had five, four in my life. Branstad, Vilsack, Culver, and Reynolds. And that's not, the top, that's not the top That's because Branstad was governor for 50 years. Exactly. That's all I pretty much knew for half of my life. So, well, let me just say he's not one of them. Iowa governors. Okay. That's next week. And, and why I picked that was uh, a friend told me that there's a new book out on one of my favorite Iowa governors. But I'm not going to tell you who. I was going to say, we'll save that for next time. Anything else to add for this week's episode? Nope. You got it. Uh, Make sure that you subscribe again to Iowa Revolution on Substack. You'll get this podcast delivered to your email every Wednesday morning. Also, make sure you uh, subscribe to Dr. Bob's Substacks. He's got Deep Midwest, which is politics, culture, similar to what we discuss on Iowa Revolution. You also have Cedar Creek Nature Notes, which is completely divergent than what we usually talk about on the Iowa Revolution podcast. Not always, but it's a lot more fun, I think. Well, Not as depressing as we can get sometimes here on the on the podcast. And I, well, and in my deep Midwest, well, never in Cedar Creek Nature Notes are, is there any politics, but deep Midwest, there's lots of politics and culture, but I never go down quite some of the paths that you go down that I suggest that you cut this part. <laughs> it's a little cleaner, maybe? Well, it's cleaner. So yeah, make sure you subscribe to both of those. Uh, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Iowa Revolution. You can follow us on Facebook as well, Iowa Revolution. Dr. Bob, always a pleasure. Can't wait till next week. You said it all.